There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show today on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again for for yet another a week. And for our US listeners, um, I'd like to um, wish you all, anybody in North America who, who celebrated Thanksgiving, I hope you had a good time with your families and uh, uh, and, and enjoyed a, a peaceful and uh, enjoyable um, celebration. Um, on last week's show, because of the, the Thanksgiving, we repeated the show with Nick Haynes. Uh, Nick is um, a, a wonderful man. He's a kindness expert uh, and um, has created something called the Five Institute. And uh, we talked to him a few weeks ago um, about um, really about being your best self and about the obstacles that sometimes can stop us from um, releasing our superpowers and, uh, and and get in the way and how we how we deal with some of those obstacles. Uh, and in this um, current world, which is a world of volatility, my guest today calls it VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Um, there are a lot of challenges that we face. And this show is really aimed at helping us to elevate our thinking, you know, do business in a better way, but also contribute really positively to a better world, to to stand up and make a difference. Uh, and my guest today, Jeffrey Buchanan, has certainly uh, done that. Um, he has an incredible, incredible CV. And um, we're going to talk today about the eye of the storm about leadership during crisis. So we're, we're really furthering um, the conversation with Nick and talking about obstacles. But as you'll find out and discover today, uh, Jeffrey has really experienced them and led people through some incredible situations and, and scenarios. Um, he's um, uh, He was um, a Lieutenant General. He commanded the US Army North, the Fifth Army. And after 30, a 37 year career, he retired from active duty in September 2019. He had 37 years um, of US military operations. He operated on every continent except Antarctica. Um, he had more than five years in combat with critical leadership roles during the four tours of Iraq and one in Afghanistan. He led more than 70,000 troops, which is just quite astonishing. Um, I talk to people who find it hard having seven seven direct reports, and there's um, uh, Jeffrey there with 70,000 troops. Uh, he was responsible for all land domain operations in North America, including protecting uh, the government capital in Washington. And he led the military responses to five major hurricanes. Um, he um, has been on numerous national and international television shows on all the major US networks. He's been interviewed and quoted in more than 50 newspapers, in all the well-known ones, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, etc. Uh, and uh, he's had um, shared his experience with Reuters and Al Jazeera and um, you name it. Um, my guest today has uh, has been quoted and contributed. So, you know, you can imagine today we're talking about the eye of the storm. How do we deal with it when things are challenging? For us in the UK, I was just saying to Jeffrey today, you know, it's the effects of um, you know, Brexit and the pandemic we're feeling still and, and what's going on in Ukraine. 
uh, and we're experiencing that in terms of uh, the, you know the costs of uh, utilities and things. But you know that's nothing uh, really compared to some of the things we're going to talk about today. Indeed, I was just talking before the show to uh, my friend David Fox Pitt, MBE, who's just heading again to the Ukraine. He's been there five or six times now in the last year. He's raised um, um they've raised a million pounds to um, help feed people in Ukraine. And they've fed them over a hundred thousand pizzas. He's just he- heading back to Kherson um, area again um, today, and um, you know that that's um, to me is incredible, and it demonstrates what people can do. I mean, he had a, a bomb that landed just 100 metres away from him um, uh, in the last few few weeks. So, um, yeah, just like to say, you know, to my friend uh, David, you know, take care and uh, come back safely again this time. So I'd like to introduce you to Jeffrey S. Buchanan. Welcome. Thanks, Chris. It's a, uh, it's a great honour for me to join you today on your show. You're very, very welcome. And one of the things I think you'll find with Jeffrey, uh, which I've really enjoyed, is his humility. And uh, I wasn't quite expecting when I, I read his CV the first time, um, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Um, he, he comes across really well. And if you look at his website, Jeffrey S. Buchanan, you'll see what people say about him um, and uh, how he's inspired so many of his, his troops over the years and uh, what a good man he is. Um, so, Jeffrey, tell us a little bit about where home is for you. And I hear you've had an accident and broken some bones. What's been going on? <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, I, uh, my wife and I live on a small ranch outside of Patagonia, Arizona. Patagonia is a, a whopping megalopolis of 800 people, and we live a couple <laughs> of miles out to, outside of town. It's in the mountains. Uh, we're at about 4,500 feet elevation, so we get four seasons. It's just beautiful, beautiful country, right? Southeastern Arizona, right on the Mexican border. Uh, my accident, uh, my wife and I went out on a... Uh, on a ride for Thanksgiving on our on three of our horses and she was riding one and I was riding another one and I was ponying a third horse you know leading him from the front and uh, we started going up a hill and my horse is can be kind of stubborn and he decided he wanted to run I held him back and uh, and then he started bucking because he got mad at me and bucking the horse bucking is not a big deal but he was on the hill he got sideways. I got a little off balance. And what I should have done was let go of the lead rope for the trail horse, but I didn't. And I came off and landed on my back and broke four ribs. So uh, for me, it's, uh, it's been, it's, it's been uh, um, an adventure and learning how to recuperate all over again. I can, I can, Im- I can imagine. Yeah. Rips are very painful, aren't they? Um, I, ho- I hope you, uh, yeah, I hope you doesn't put you off the riding. Well, I'm going to be off for a while. I won't. Yeah. I won't get back on the horse for four to six weeks, and uh, you know, I'm learning to take it easy. It's interesting because I'm a person who I uh, rest and recreate, if you will. I recreate through activity, you know. And I'm. I'm. I tend to be a little bit busy, you know. I'm always fixing a fence or splitting firewood or something. And now I'm. I'm uh, getting back to reading a lot. So <laughs> just another form of development. It's good for me, but but really it is a good opportunity to learn. Yeah, you've got to look at look at look at what you can do in these situations and enjoy that. Um so you've you've had I explained you know some of the background to your incredible career. And I'm kind of intrigued, you know, what what prepared you for for this? What what sort of upbringing did you have? 
you know, my father was uh, my father was in the army. He was a helicopter pilot with a couple of tours in Vietnam, and my mom was a a educator. She started teaching in a one room schoolhouse, and you know, finished at the college and university level. And we lived all over the place. I was born in, actually in Germany. Uh, I consider Arizona home, but you know, uh, being a military family, we lived all over the place. But I like to think of my mom and dad as as heroes. And you know, if you ask your typical American, and I suspect the same thing is is true with a uh, British citizen, but if you ask your typical American who their heroes are, they're mostly going to answer back with athletes, musicians, actors, you know, celebrities, people who are famous. Uh, but if you look up the word hero in the dictionary, it comes, of course, from the ancient Greeks. And there's really only two requirements to being a hero, courageous acts and a noble purpose. Yeah. And as far as, you know, courageous acts, I like to go back to the the root word, which comes from the French core, which means heart. So people who act courageously act with a full heart. And, you know, as far as a noble purpose, it's really about service to others. So when I look at my mom and dad, everything that they did, they acted with a full heart and tried to serve others. So I learned this, you know, from from uh, from my youth onwards. And I just tried tried to emulate that. Yeah. Not always successfully, but I tried to emulate that, that yeah. uh, those values. I, I love that. I love that. And uh, I think if people already, if you take one, one thing from this interview today, Acting with a full heart and courageously with a noble purpose, um, you uh, you're taking away something very important there because it it's you know it can guide your life, can't it? It's uh, and it can also set you on the path to you know a great contribution. It can, and you know I think sometimes we get frustrated when we when we fall or stumble, and but you know I think it's also important to realize none of us is perfect. None of us is going to always be heroic. But if you can fight to be that way, then you can serve as an example to others. Yes. And others can learn from you and you can really make a difference. Yes. And did you have um did you have aspirations to to kind of go as far in your military career as you did? Oh no. Oh, no. You know, I uh <laughs> I I got a scholarship. We have a system in the United States called ROTC, and I was uh, attending at the University of Arizona and I got a ROTC scholarship. Um, which is Reserve Officer Training Corps. And so it's a means of while you're going through college, you also do some military training. It's not exactly like Sandhurst or anything, but but upon graduation, then you become commissioned as a lieutenant. And, and that was the system I went through. And, you know, I was never a career person from the beginning or anything. I, I just decided, you know, as long as I was having fun and making a difference, I was going to stay. And the more I did it, I, I thought I was pretty good at it, and I really loved what I did. Uh, and there were some hard times, but uh, but in the big in the big picture, I really enjoyed it, and I thought that I was helping people, so I was inspired to stay. And it's kind of funny because you know the more uh, the higher rank I got, I found that it was a lot easier to prevent us from doing stupid things, and you know. Yeah, I, I imagine the British Army is pretty similar to the American Army. We don't. It's pretty. It's easy to come up with stupid things to do, and it, if I could stop some of the insanity and keep us on purpose, 
uh, I thought that I could really help a lot of people. And uh, and sometimes it just needs you need, you know, a leader in charge who's going to say, we're not going to do that. That's just not the right thing to do. Yeah. Even even if the intent behind it was was um, was given with the heart in the right place. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how how did you how do you find you look at you know Hollywood movies, for example, and they often don't portray the U.S. military very kindly, do they? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there's stories. It's it's fiction. You got to take it for what it's worth. <laughs> And then, you know, you can learn something from everything. And even some of them that are meant to be histories, you know, are based on sometimes a narrow perspective. And so you'll only get one perspective of it. Uh, but I, again, I think it's, they're fun to watch and you can learn from them. And some of them are completely unrealistic, but that's okay. I, I don't get offended by it. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> and and if you're writing a book at the moment, the, the Eye of the Storm, Leadership During Crisis. And, you know, looking back on, your experiences you know tell us about you know just give us a flavor of some of the crises that you've experienced where actually the going was tough and you really did find yourself in the eye of the storm yeah so um i saw some behavior especially early on in my career but you know in in operations around the world but even later on looking downwards at some of my subordinate leaders um, how incredibly powerful they were as leaders because they were able to remain calm despite, you know, the world coming apart all around them. Yeah. And it was, that was the behavior I tried to uh, emulate and really admired. Uh, ability to maintain clear thinking, even when uh, there are many, many challenges, it seems complex, you're not exactly sure which way to go. Uh, but to maintain a clear, a clear sense of thought and ability to motivate others and inspire others uh, to continue to excel. Uh, so I've seen it over and over again many times in combat. Um, you know, some of my non-commissioned officers or or junior officers and some of my superiors as well. Just their ability to sort through um, a tough situation and get at the key problem. And then, and then not lose focus on that and remain calm. Uh, I think that that was what caused me to really want to behave that way um, when I got into some of these larger crises. And I'll, I'll take an I'll take another example, just briefly. That is that is not uh, necessarily chaotic, but can come with a lot of pressure. I was a uh, general court martial convening authority for five years. And so this is, you know, in the U.S. system of military justice, this is a person who makes decisions about who's going to sit on different court-martial panels, whether or not we have sufficient evidence to charge somebody with a crime. Uh, after the jury, uh, judge or jury has done their thing, I could approve or downgrade the sentence. That was the person that they, you know, the lawyers would bring uh, request for clemency. And, and some of these cases were national level cases, you know, I mean, with very much in the press. And uh, if I were to fall victim to outside pressures for what I thought others wanted me to do, I think I would have been letting uh, the entire system, my soldiers, the country down. Uh, 
instead, I just really tried to do the right thing based on the evidence that was presented to me. And um, and sometimes, you know, I came away from that, especially, you know, looking at um, at uh, some of the outside pressure and what was going on in the media. I thought, OK, I'm going to be vilified based on this decision. But this is the evidence I have, and I've got to do the right thing here. Yeah. And so I think that was, uh, for me, learning about what was important and, and fighting to do the right thing despite pressure, I think that was also important to my development and what I've learned. That's really, really important, isn't it? Because you can you can be swayed. Uh, and the media are always looking for, for chinks in the armor, aren't they? Um, yeah, well, you know, and it's their job. They want to, I, I believe in a free press and and I admire the press, um, you know, but you've got to understand where they're coming from and what their audience is and what they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I can imagine that, that you must be, you know, find yourself with a number of situations too, though, where maybe there might have been two right answers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's very, you know, sometimes it's the, least worst answer you know yeah. that you end up coming up with yeah um, but you know again if if in the big picture you're trying to do the right thing and it, you know i i again i i really want to stress none of us is perfect i've made mistakes i fight to learn from those mistakes uh but i but when i counsel others i you know and they're trying to decide which way to go i i just tell them look, tomorrow you want to be able to look in the mirror and like the person you see. Mm. And if you can do that, then I think you're you're headed in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to go uh, to commercial break and we'll, we'll be back again with you just in just a couple of minutes and we'll find out um, you know, more, um, more from Jeffrey about what we really need to consider when we're in the eye of the storm. And I'm sure we'll have one or two more um, great examples for us to contemplate. But I think, um, you know, what I took from that section it, it is, uh, you know, courageous acts and a noble purpose. And that's what um, being a hero is, being in service to others, you know, remain, remaining calm in a crisis um, is really important, being able to maintain that clear thinking, um, being able to sort through key problems, keeping calm and always um, do the right thing despite the pressure. So on that note, we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. 
Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jeffrey S. Buchanan, and we're talking about that crisis uh, leadership uh, today. And uh, I want to just... Um, focus in on a, a statistic that I read in a manuscript that you shared with me for your, for your new book, which was that uh, three out of four Americans trust the military, but only 47% of people rate CEOs as credible or very credible. So why is, is this and what does the military do that really engenders more trust than um, the typical CEO? Obviously? You know, um so let's take it from the audience perspective, because that's what that survey was meant to reflect. I think that from the audience perspective, the people surveyed, they they perceive that the military, you know, as a whole, but individually as well, tend to be selfless. They're selfless servants of others. They are there doing the work on behalf of others, whereas a lot of times... Uh, leaders in the business world are perceived to be selfish yes. in it for themselves. And and so, you know, the perceptions are important. That's what this survey was about. Uh, the reality, of course, is never quite as uh, it doesn't exactly. The perceptions don't reflect reality. You know, many, many CEOs are very, very selfless. Uh, but But that may not be the general perception. And so, you know, I guess a broad recommendation is to think about when you're in a position of leadership, what are you doing? How are you doing the things that you do? You know, are you able to serve others? If you're able to serve other people or serve a greater good or make a difference, you know, you just mentioned your friend David going to Ukraine and delivering food. I mean, and, you know, when I talked earlier about heroism, there's a perfect example. Yeah. Courageous acts and a noble purpose. So are you making a difference for just your own bank account or are you making a difference for other people? I think that's a key idea. Yeah. There's there's something that uh, David actually is. Um, he, he went through SAS training and, and sort of passed out through the, the process. And I do notice I've got several friends who've been through that kind of military training. And I do notice that uh, then... You know the, these brave acts of uh, of you know hero type behavior, which is not that's not what they're striving for. They're doing it because they're serving for others. Do seem to come a little bit easier for them 
I mean, I, I don't mean easier, but they're prepared to go the extra mile and do it. Well, I, I think that a lot of that comes from, you know, especially when I look back on uh, some of the tough experiences I've had. Nobody, you know, in, in the military, we don't we don't rise based on our own individual successes or performance. It's always a team effort. Yeah. And, you know, um, uh, I remember when I, I was in Iraq at the time, I got promoted to major general. And, you know, we have this ceremony uh, and uh, and I get an opportunity to talk. And I, I thought what was important, wow, you know, who ever thought that I would ever rise to such a rank? I certainly never did. But what I talked about was all the people that had been my subordinates up to that point that actually helped me get there, that helped me learn from them, but also their own behavior made it look like my success. Um, and, and, you know, we're always in it as a team. And I'm, I'm sure your friend David learned that, you know, as, as he was going through SAS training, you know, nobody is going uh, to clear this room by themselves. No, they, they need they need an entire team yeah um and sometimes that's a team on the ground and sometimes it's a it's a team e even you know connected by satellite providing additional imagery or whatever so yeah. it's always a team effort and just help me excuse my my ignorance in terms of the kind of the rank major general is that is is, is there any is there is anybody higher in the in um, oh yeah so we have where's that, where's that sitting in the american yeah. in the american system we have and, and i think british military is the same we have as essentially you know four general officer ranks uh and it's reflected the same way in the navy with admirals but a one star is a brigadier general a two star is a major general a three star is a lieutenant general and a, a four star is a general so you know, uh, your chief of defense is a four-star general, just like our chairman of the Joint Chiefs is. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you, so, in your in your experience, you reached a three three-star general. Is that where? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lieutenant general. <laughs> yeah, lieutenant general. Wow. So, so let's go into um, into crisis. That then, you know, which crisis most sticks in your mind, and what did you learn? I think you know, I'd like to go to Hurricane Maria. Um, so for our listeners, some may not remember, we had a really tough year, hurricane season in, uh, in the summer of 2017, um, a number of major storms, but we had three major storms that had a big impact on the United States. And that's Hurricane Harvey, which impacted, uh, Texas and to some extent, Louisiana. And then about a week later, Hurricane Irma hit the U.S. Virgin Islands and then ravaged Florida. And then 10 days after that came Hurricane Maria, which also hit the U.S. Virgin Islands and uh, Puerto Rico. And uh, so three storms back to back, major effort. You know, the federal agency that was in charge of support was FEMA, the uh, Federal Emergency Management Agency. And and I ended up leading the U.S. military effort in support of FEMA for all three of those storms. Um, the first two, actually, the the response was uh, went fairly well as planned. It, you know, the framework that was designed in our system uh, worked well. Uh, both Texas and Florida uh, have great emergency management agencies, and um, and. The, uh, they're well-resourced and they get a lot of practice 
And so the system worked the way it's supposed to, where the local people are actually in charge. You know, the state is is in charge and the federal government is there to help them. But, uh, and a different element actually had the lead for response in Puerto Rico for Hurricane Maria. But uh, I guess six days after landfall, it was kind of unraveling. And and I got a call from my boss and, and uh, you know, basically with seven words, go to Puerto Rico and fix it. Okay. Yeah. So there's your mission statement. There's all your key tasks and everything, right? Go to Puerto Rico and fix it. So I spent, I, I was in California at the time, made my way back to Texas, grabbed a bag, grabbed some of my team, and then onward to Puerto Rico. And that entire time, I was trying to sort through what is it exactly that we're trying to fix? You know, what is wrong? And there's a lot of reasons for it, but the system had really broken down mm. in Puerto Rico. You know, um, the storm hit the entire island. It entered on the southeastern corner of the island, went on the went off of the northwestern corner. It blew down, you know, trees, power lines. You know, there was no electricity to 95% of the island. Airports are shut, seaports are shut. Puerto Rico, unlike Texas or Florida, it's not correct, connected by land to the rest of the United States. So it's very hard to uh, get supplies there. And, and I talked about the emergency management agencies of, uh, of uh, Texas and Florida being both very good. The lead of the emergency management agency in Puerto Rico went on vacation day three after landfall and never came back. So they had just, they were overwhelmed completely. Yeah. And so we in the military, what I, what I came to is, you know, the core of the problem here is that the system is broken down and we're going to have to play an unnatural role. And we're going to have to do things that were, you know, work in ways that we're not supposed to. Just one small example, you know, about a week into the response, I had uh, 72 helicopters and uh, Ospreys, which are rotor tilt aircraft under my command. And the way the system is supposed to work is that uh, we are supposed to respond to requests for help. But again, the problem in Puerto Rico is that, you know, the roads are all shut. Communication towers are down. Cell phone towers are down. There's no way for people to even communicate what their needs were. So we weren't going to get requests. And so, I, you know, I directed all of our helicopter pilots to load up with food and water and go find people that need help and just start giving it to them. We're yeah. not going to wait. We're not going to respond to requests. Um, and this includes even our medevac aircraft, our medical evacuation aircraft. And I said to those guys, by the way, if you're a flight medic on one of those, when you land, you kick off the food and water, go find a doctor or nurse and see if they need any medicine. And just start giving it to them. Or if they have patients, they need evacuated. So we're going to have to behave differently. But it started from an understanding of the problem that we we're actually trying to fix. You know, instead of assuming that the system was going to work the way it was supposed to. Mm. Mm. And, and you know, I just can't describe the devastation properly in Puerto Rico. I know probably a number of our listeners have been there, but there's a, there's a park on the northeast corner of the island called El Yunque. It's a tropical rainforest. And when I flew over El Yunque on the 28th of September 2017 in an Army Blackhawk, I... It looked like a nuclear explosion. I couldn't see a leaf on a tree. This is a rainforest. Mm. 
My word. You know, it was just the devastation was unbelievable. My word. Gosh. And and um has has it, has it renewed itself in some to a certain extent now? Is it it, it has. There Puerto Rico still has a number of uh fiscal problems. You know, they were $74 billion in debt before uh the storm hit. And the federal government has done a lot. The the Commonwealth, the government of the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico has done a lot, but they still have a lot of problems. And you know, um they just don't have the resources to do some of the things like Florida has done with putting a lot of its electrical cables underground mm. where they're truly protected. They don't have that capability in Puerto yeah. Rico. So they're vulnerable to the next storm as well. Yeah. Gee. So when when you're in the cyber storm, do you have a do you have kind of like a process with stages that you that you consider? Yeah, it's not a, uh, I mean, some of the stages would certainly blend and they repeat themselves. But I think the, the big idea is to try to understand what's going on, understand the environment um, and, and you know, gather a team around you that can give you different perspectives so that you can get the deepest understanding possible. Yeah. And then, you know, form some hypotheses, if you will, about what's happening, what's the problem that we're trying to solve. And then test it out. And sometimes you're going to find that you've got it wrong. Yeah. Um, what you'll find a lot of times, even if you got the problem right, is that that the nature of that problem is going to change with your own actions. You yes. know, when you do things, you're going to change the problem. So now you have to you you may have to change what you're doing or how you're doing it, but based on what's actually happening on the ground, that's why you have to keep constantly relook at it. So back to that example of delivering bottled water. You know, we delivered, I think it's 47 million liters of bottle of water to people all over the island, you know, during a, about a two-month stay there. Wow. And at first, it was really important for life-saving, for saving lives, and then became more important over time for life-sustaining, what we would call it. But, you know, what was really important to save lives in the beginning actually got in the way of recovery further on. Because if you're a grocery store owner, you know, in the city of my West, and and part of how you make your money is to sell bottled water. You can't compete with the army who's kicking it out of helicopters for free. No. No. You know, so so even though even though what we were doing was critical in the beginning, if we kept doing the same thing over time, we were going to get in the way of true recovery. Yeah, help them get back on their feet. We needed to back off and allow commerce to to proceed. Yes. Yes, so people get back up on their own, own feet again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, um, what a what a yeah what a, a story, and um, and that makes you know makes uh, enormous sense from a um, you know a business perspective. I mean, I remember running you know large projects and companies years ago, and you'd, you'd be there with a with a Gantt chart trying to trying to foresee every step, and actually it became slightly pointless really because what you had to do is just move forward and then adjust, <laughs> and then move forward and adjust yeah yeah move forward and adjust yeah i think that's uh that's key um one of the things I've, I've noticed with you is um is i really felt when i first met you was your humility which i really enjoyed and i wonder what you've learned about the subtle nature of leading people that's um, most effective because there's a, there's real subtlety isn't there there's nuance to leading people there is but um yeah, so let me let me focus on that word for a second, humility. 
uh, I think it's, I've been asked a lot of times, what do I think is the most important leadership quality for one to have? And I think, especially at the, the higher up you go in an organization, humility is that much more important. Um, but we often confuse humility with modesty. And I think Maya Angelou said it best. She said, you don't want modesty, you want humility. Yeah. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Yeah. yeah. And so the point is, as a leader, a humble leader will come into a room and not assume that they're the smartest person. Yeah. You know, but they'll be open, actually open to input. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite things is when I'm trying to teach people how to behave sometimes as a senior leader is never pass up the opportunity to shut the heck up. You know, yeah. you need to be quiet and listen sometimes. And it, if you if you pers- if you really fight for diversity and you fight to surround yourself with people who don't think and act and believe exactly in the same thing you do, you're going to get exposed to many different perspectives. And if you're humble and you can actually listen to them, what I found, at least in my case, is that I make it I make much, much more better, much better decisions than than if I just took it on myself and just went with instinct. Yeah, sometimes my instinct would be exactly right, but not always. Sometimes I get different perspectives. And uh, and what's important is making the best decision for the team, not the one that just feels right to me at the moment. So that's why I think humility is so, so important. And uh, listening to others is really, really important. Yeah. There's always a, there's a danger, isn't there, of surrounding yourself with people who, who will agree with you if you're in a senior yeah. position. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I made it a point, especially as a, you know, we have a, we have a support staff as general officers in the American military, British military does too. And I went out of my way to not keep the same people. And in fact, I have an aide de camp, you know, in my positions. Uh, uh, I don't now, you know, I have a dog that accompanies me. But, uh, but back when I was on active duty, I had an aide de camp, but I changed them every year. And partially, partially was because I, I thought it was important for to expose as many people as I could and give them opportunities to learn and develop. But part of it was for my own benefit. I thought that I needed different perspectives, and I didn't want to have somebody that thought that they knew exactly how I was going to behave and everything could be honestly give me their perspectives. And so I changed the inner cell pretty regularly, um, and that kept it fresh. And it helped me again make better decisions. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, change, changing the inner the inner cell regularly. That's it. Uh, there is a, you know, it, it it is very, you know, a very um, well noted fact these days that um, authority can be a major problem. People bowing down to authority um, and being afraid to speak up and share what's really going on and. Um, we've, we've, I think there's a problem. I, I won't go. I know we don't have a lot of time to the next break, but um, we there's a problem in in some organization and almost any organization if it's large enough that some leaders who are toxic or poisonous to others will rise. And one of the reasons they rise is because they're very good at showing the boss what they want the boss to see. Yes. But, you know, the way they succeed is by abusing their subordinates. And to me, that's terrible behavior. But but from the top, 
top looking down, sometimes you can't see it. Yeah. And so that's one of my my personal uh, mileposts, if you will, is I always, in any organization I'm in, I always try to root out toxic behavior and correct it if I can. And if I can't correct it, get rid of the person who's demonstrating that. Let's say that. So you, so you would always, if you have somebody who, who is maybe um, something of a, it's maybe it's the right word in business we would say a terrorist but in in your in your world that's something slightly different rather different but um but, yes, uh, but, you, but you know what i mean you'd root them out yeah, and it's hard it can be hard there are techniques you can use you know by anonymous surveys by spending a lot of time i i found you know one i i, I rooted out one toxic leader the guy had worked for me for 10 months and i did we were deployed to iraq at the time I had no idea. I thought he was just an incredible performer until I went into his area at two o'clock in the morning, you know, one morning and and found a Navy commander. She was in the corner crying. I asked her what was wrong and then she unloaded on me. And I just had no idea. I just couldn't see it. But once I saw it, I could deal with it. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes having, uh, you know, again, in the military, a sergeant major is is incredible. But you can have a sergeant major creep around and and find out all kinds of things about what's really happening. Yeah. You know, whereas you as the officer may not see the truth, but you need somebody speaking truth to you who understands what's really happening in the organization. Yeah. And and then when you can find the, you know the leaders that aren't performing the way you'd want them to, you can either work to correct that behavior or or work to get them out of the organization. Excellent. Well. On that note, we're going to go to commercial break now. Um, but I think that's that's a very important thing for people to uh, listen to and consider because I, I certainly work, I've worked with, with organizations where um, you know, there's fear of leaning into slightly toxic people, but they have a huge impact on on morale and well-being and performance. And uh, looking down, they may deliver the results, but they, they leave a mess, <laughs> which eventually someone has to clear up. Right. Ultimately. And, and they're and they, you know, they destroy the organization from the inside out. Yeah. Really, it's really destructive. Yeah. They may produce. They may produce. But in the long term, it's harmful. Yeah. Great. Well, on that note, we'll go to commercial break now. Do join us again in just a couple of minutes for uh, more Jeffrey S. Buchanan um, and uh, more leading in the eye of a storm. So I'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. 
The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jeffrey S. Buchanan, and uh, we're talking about uh, leading in the eye of uh, eye of the storm. And uh, I was kind of reflecting back um, many years ago. I, I was asked to go on. I wanted to go on a leadership stretch event when I was a, a leader in a in a, a large organisation, and uh, it was absolutely fascinating. We went away for a few days to. We didn't. We we turned up at an army base, and then. We literally didn't know where we were going going from then on. I think we spent three or four hours in the back of a back of a jeep, uh, and uh, we we actually did land in Thetford in the middle of Norfolk in the United sure. Kingdom. We slept we slept on a, a a sack on a stone floor, and four days of um, quite an experience uh, ensued from being given <laughs> brand new military boots, marching overnight, going over obstacles. Uh, building a raft and uh, swimming across a river in my pants um, <laughs> and eventually it culminated in in uh, an experience I'll never forget of being in the back of an army vehicle having my blister syringe with various different uh, military people coming in and having a laugh um, so <laughs> I think we had a broken collarbone and we had a broken finger and uh, I actually did quite well in the end actually with with just the blisters but I came away with that thinking well I think there was a bit of a gung-ho Actually, let 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 us show you uh, you you sort of soft business people what we what we can uh, we we do in the military. Um, but I, what I also did, I came away with was the feeling was actually these guys need to train really really hard because it's life or death uh, potentially, and it's not usually like that in business. And I wonder what your your thoughts were on the kind of parallels between the military and and uh, and business. And I'd also love just to get a perspective from you about how you deal with loss of life, because actually we sometimes do deal with that in business too, of colleagues and sure. uh, and it's, uh, you know people getting sick and ill. So, what you know, what are your thoughts on the parallels? What can people learn from the military when they're in business? Well, I think the conditions uh, may be different. Uh, well, and you just described those. You know, sometimes life and death and very serious situation. I, I remember to try to keep things in perspective. You know, I may be getting ready to, I remember later on in life, you know, when I was a senior general officer, I may be getting ready to meet with the president of the United States. And somebody would say, well, isn't, isn't this stressful? And 
I'd say, no, I'll tell you what's stressful is changing magazines in a firefight. That's stressful. You know, you know, because when you look at it from that perspective, this could actually kill me. Um, So keeping things in perspective, I think, is important. Um, And that helped me a lot to keep things in perspective. But the parallels, I think, are even more important. I, I think a lot of times, especially with people who have never been in the military, they think that leadership in the military must be easy compared to leadership in other organizations because all you have to do is issue orders and people are going to do it. And, and of course, you know it's never that simple. Uh, leadership in the military, is I think it's, it's basically the same as leadership in any organization. The conditions may be different, but, you know, you, you, somebody is not going to do something that is uh, going to lead to their potential death just because you order them to do it. If they don't, you know, they're there for their buddies, they're there for the cause, they're there because they're inspired, all of these kinds of things. And the same tools, the same techniques apply in the business world, they apply in a university setting, they apply in a troop of Girl Scouts. You know, it's it's really important. I think that we can learn from each other. We Certainly we in the military can learn from all these other organizations, how to, how to motivate and inspire people. Uh, and they can learn from the military as well, but but I think the basic ideas are the same. They're not uh, they're not different. The conditions are different. Yeah, I, I do want to let me talk for a second about loss of life. Um, our uh, ch- the chief of staff of our army back in uh, 2003, I think, was the first year. It might have been earlier than that. You know, with the campaign in Afghanistan. But the chief had a policy that um, every time we had a soldier die in a combat zone, Iraq or Afghanistan, he was going to have a general officer as his representative um, presiding over or officiating at that soldier's funeral, wherever it was in the world. And, And, you know, it was my especially when it was one of my soldiers, it was it, it was a great honor to do that uh, and completely heartbreaking every time I did. Um, you know, I, I uh, and occasionally, very infrequently, I actually knew the soldier, but most often I didn't, but it didn't it didn't cause any less tears, you know, dealing with the families and you know, I used to say there's absolutely no place. I, I'm terrified and I really don't want to be here, but there's no place I'd rather be. Yeah. Um, and and so I, to me, I, I learned, I, I think I learned uh, the importance of just being there for people. And then I tried to replicate this in combat. You know, when you have a platoon that loses two or three guys, you know, in an ambush, it it's catastrophic to that platoon and we as leadership would um would go and spend time with them and and when you're in that situation you know frankly it's it's hard to come up with the right thing to say when somebody has just lost somebody that they love but the fact that you're there for them makes all the difference in the world i was talking to a good friend of mine who's a a gold star mom this is a tradition we have in the united states when when you're, a, you know, when you lose a son or daughter uh, that's in the military, you become a gold star mom. 
And um, it, it comes from a tradition from World War II, actually, where people used to, they would fly blue stars if they had somebody serving in the military and then a gold star if they had somebody die. And this lady is a gold star mom. She lost her son. Uh, he was in the army. And, and she told me a story that one of her best friends, uh, her running partners, um, after her son died, the running partner completely avoided her and would never talk to her. And, you know, that is a response. And it, unfortunately, it's a typical response. And a lot of times people, we don't know how to deal with somebody when they've lost, you know, their mother, their father, their, their kids. Mm. Um, but the most important thing is actually just to be there for them and yeah. say, look, I, I, there's nothing I can say that could give you comfort, but I, but I'm here for you. But uh, Jeffrey, um, I'd love to keep on going and going and going, but I'm looking at the time where we're near the end of the interview uh, and this really powerful, powerful stuff. Could you just share in, in, a, in a minute, what are you doing now? And, uh, how, you know, who are you, who are you helping now? Post, sure. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time uh, speaking and uh, consulting. Mostly I've been working with uh, university audiences and government audiences uh, I'm trying to expand uh, a little bit more into the corporate world. I think I have a lot to help, uh, a lot of opportunity to help them. But I also think uh, that I have a lot to learn. And uh, I think I've got a lot to learn from the business world. So I'm looking forward to establishing some more partnerships there. Fantastic. That's it. And do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with? You know, I, uh, I when I ask people in a university setting, what do they think the difference is between leadership and management. I, I do that as a technique just to get a discussion going. And then I share my opinion and I say, look, as simple as I've been able to make it, management is just about making things happen. And leadership is about influencing people to make things happen. Yeah. Now, it's not that it's not that leaders aren't present in a management equation, but they are but people are the critical component of any leadership equation. So leadership is all about relationships and influencing people. And the most powerful way that I've seen over the years to try to influence others is to, is to fight like hell to lead by example. So if you can show people what to do instead of just tell them, you'll always be more, far more successful. Thanks for having me, Chris. Oh, you're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I could listen to you for, for hours. Uh, it's been a, a great conversation, really thought-provoking. Uh, puts things into perspective for many of us with the situations we're dealing with um, and uh, lots and lots of wisdom from you. Um, I recommend people go back and listen to this again with a with a notepad because I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, ideas for you to think about. How can you lead by example? How can you keep calm in the, in the storm? Um, be mindful as a leader, the ripples that you have on, with, with people and the, your behavior, how it impacts and not just um, not just the, the individuals you lead, but also their families. Um, so, uh, so yeah, a fascinating interview. Thank you so much for joining today. Uh, it's been brilliant. Uh, on next week's show, we've got Man Mandy Hickson. Uh, Mandy's been on the show many years ago now, but she was only the second um, uh, lady to fly um, tornadoes in action. Um, she did that over in Iraq and I think probably Afghanistan. Um, and she's got an amazing story. Her, her book is uh, um, An Officer, Not a Gentleman. Um, which is uh, you know just fascinating to hear how she she overcame adversity as a female to get to where she got. So do join us again next week. That will be a, another fascinating conversation. And uh, go visit um, uh, jeffreysbuchanan.com. Is that correct, Jeffrey? 
It sure is. Yeah, Jeffrey S. Buchanan.com. And Buchanan is B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N.com. Good Scottish name. Brilliant. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Um, go away. Have a great week and look forward to speaking to you again next week. Any questions, comments, do feed them back. I'd love to hear from people. Chris at chriscooper.co.uk. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.